Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Jonathan Judge. Jonathan is a senior member of the Baseball Prospectus Stats team, and he's one of their writers as well. He's one of the people behind the new stat, Deserved Runs Created. You can give him a follow on Twitter at BachLaw. That's B-A-C-H-L-A-W. Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Ross. Thank you. Well, let's talk about Deserved Runs Created. Tell me about the stat and what it accomplishes. We have been troubled for some time by a problem that we see, which is that um, uh, leadership or uh, leaderboards, excuse me, on baseball websites, including ours, basically report the outcomes of plays on which a player is involved, but they do not actually tell you what the contribution was or attempt to tell you that. They just sort of assume that the two are the same. And we know that's not true. We, you know, there's uh, the, the outcomes of the plays have a lot to do with it, um, but it's not all of it. And so we found ourselves thinking, what would happen if we focused on trying to sort of isolate that unique contribution rather than just sort of saying, well, the outcomes are what they are, and we'll try a little park adjustment and see how it goes. So th- that was essentially our primary goal, and we we went through sort of a multi-step process whereby we looked at a few other metrics, then we sort of set up an evaluation and benchmarking framework to sort of say, okay, how will we know when a stat is actually better than another stat, which is kind of important. And then after we did that, we finally uh, pushed forward and put together DRC+, and, uh, which seems to at least under the benchmarks that we had established for ourselves back in August, uh, seems to be outperforming all of the other batter stats right now on average in terms of its ability to tell us things that we think are important. And when you use those benchmark numbers that you were looking to eclipse, you're looking at comparing DRC plus to OPS plus and weighted runs created plus. What, how is it better than those two? What are you finding that it's doing better than those two numbers? What we're doing is we sort of ask it to do three things. We've basically said a metric can be looked at three ways. Uh, One is the extent to which it actually describes what happened. Uh, That's also known as descriptiveness. And so you look at what's already happened, which is all that a metric can ever tell you, but how well does it describe that? The second thing we look at is what we call reliability, and that is how similarly does the same player get uh, rated from year to year? That's important because if you're actually finding something unique and special, you should be able to see it the next time, too. Otherwise, you're just sort of a good guesser. And the third thing is uh, what we call predictiveness. So if um, if DRC is better than OPS plus and WRC plus, what it should be able to do is actually have a better relationship with actual runs scored in the following year uh, for that player in terms of runs generated. And we actually used uh, WOBA, weighted on base average, as our proxy for, um, you know, for whether you were actually predicting next year's performance or not. And the goal, the, the reason you do that is because if, in fact, you are isolating a true contribution, that same contribution should more or less keep showing up, right? It's the same guy. So they may be a little older, on, they may be a little younger, but it, it, it should be the same person coming up to the plate on average. So what we did was um, we took all three of those things and we had set up the sort of impossible standard of, well, provided that you can um, be better in, than the competition in all three of those kind of conflicting benchmarks, the only possible explanation we can think of for how 
you could do that is if you are in fact doing a better job at isolating the actual contribution. There's there's no other explanation that we can think of. So um, when DRC, when we tested it and it proved somewhat to our surprise uh, that it could not only do that, but do so at a very considerable improvement level, uh, that's when we started to become pretty excited. So as an example, if a player hits 30 home runs and 20 doubles, those are his actual descriptive stats that happened during a season. How do you look at that? Do you look at, well, he may have not have had that many home runs, he not have may have had that many doubles. Are you looking at each individual play and what that batter actually did to contribute to those outcomes? I would say that mathematically what we do is we take a, uh, we look at the distribution of distribution of performance among players. And then we take that distribution and then we say, okay, how does the average player do at this? And then the, and this is all sort of just a a standard modeling technique. It isn't like we sit there and, and think of this over individually, but essentially you sort of create a distribution of batting performance. And what we find is that when you kind of put everyone on this distribution and say, no, we're going to sort of ask you to fit within the sort of overall relationship of how this performance is among, say, batters or pitchers, that most people end up sort of getting pulled in a little bit, um, the sort of extremes. And uh, when that happens, what we find is that uh, you start getting more accurate readings on some of these benchmarks and you're getting closer to the contribution. Because, for example, you know, you may have had one or two fluke home runs, but it's highly unlikely you had 20 of them. Um, so by comparison, so the idea is that if we can sort of nip and tuck a little bit around the edges and sort of increase a little bit when it seems to be warranted and decrease a little bit when it seems to be warranted, we can produce somewhat remarkable improvements in our ability to isolate what a, what a contribution really was. How many at-bats or plate appearances does it take for the number to stabilize? Ooh, that's a that's a controversial question. So um, I am actually not a big proponent in the idea of stabilization. I, I it has never really made a lot of sense to me. Uh, so I I can tell you that um, so far what we've done is simply look at it from a season to season basis. In terms of you know if you have one month of something, how well does that compare to what you would have after two months or how does what you have after two months compared to the end of the season? Um, we, we have not looked at that. Um, I'm somewhat curious to look at that because one of the things that we talked about uh, was that um, some of the uh, StatCast metrics, uh, we were outperforming on a season to season basis, but there's been some evidence that shows that StatCast metrics may actually sort of move in the right direction more quickly. And so there may be some fertile ground there to till in terms of, you know, how does how do those different approaches sort of um, uh, sort of both get to where they eventually want to go, um, but maybe at slightly different rates. What are the basic components to calculating the stat? I know you can't give the whole formula, not only for proprietary reasons, but also giving math formulas on a podcast, not the best thing ever. But what are the basic components into putting this together? You know, it is, I would say, substantially proprietary, although I think I, I do plan to talk about a lot of the models enough that people can, you know, if they really wanted to put in the work, they should be able to largely reconstruct what we're doing. But the the largest, the, the sort of steps, I would say, are, are this. Um, we sort of take all of these different events uh, in baseball, singles, doubles, triples, walks, etc. They each have their own model. And... At all times, what we're doing is sort of comparing the likelihood of one of those 
advance to that of a simple everyday bat and ball and play out. And you, when you do that and you set up this model and you put everyone on this distribution, then what you see is everyone's respective contributions start to get shrunk you know, a little bit or a lot or even not at all. Uh, people who have very few plate appearances get shrunk a lot toward the mean because that's just not that reliable. Um, but people who have a lot more get shrunk less. And people who have a lot of plate appearances and who are also have very you know, extreme good or extreme bad numbers also get shrunk less because the longer they've been there and the more extreme they are, the more impressed, for lack of a better word, the models are and believes that what they're doing is somewhat, quote unquote, real. Um, so we do that for each of the components. And then what you have to do is you have to then, uh, I don't think it's a mathematical term, but you have to sort of squish them together uh, so that the probabilities all add up to one. And then what you do is uh, you take the linear weights. So in other words, these different events all have different weights. A single is worth more than a walk, and a double is worth more than a single, and an out is a negative value, at least for us. And uh, then you simply take the average rate of all of these events in baseball, and you say, okay, you know, the average person singles at this rate, the average person strikes out at this rate, and you're either above or below average those various events at that, um, at that level. And so if you're above it, then we say, okay, uh, you're above the rate, and there's a run value associated with that. And if you're below it, then there's a run value associated with that stat, and you can either have these runs added or uh, subtracted from your total. And at the end of the day, there's a runs above average number, deserved runs above average. And then essentially the rate at which you generate deserved runs above average uh, for each plate appearance uh, dictates uh, where you fall on the overall spectrum. And we then take that and uh, collapse it to the familiar 100 central scale that people use for a lot of metrics. People seem to like it. And uh, that's how you end up with the DRC+. You are currently able to go back retroactively and apply the number to 1921 and up. How were you able to do that? We actually found when putting this together that the best uh, statistics, the ones that were the most uh, useful for us in our inputs, were actually um, some of the simplest ones that go back a long ways. Um, until a few years ago, I think it would have been difficult to go back before 1951 or so because we need play-by-play -play data to do this. Um, but RetroSheet and the selfless people there have been working really hard uh, to reconstruct games. Sometimes they have to sort of deduce what happened, but they can usually do a pretty good job from if they have a lineup and they have a, a stat sheet and some other things in terms of what must have happened. Um, and by doing that, they then have taken events all the way back to 1921. So as long as they do that, we are able to then take those uh, events and uh, keep track of them and use them to, uh, to put together DRC estimates for older players. Now on the pitching side, that still only goes back to 1950. Is that correct? It is, and that's something that we'll be able to extend back, I think, also um, once we uh, kind of move on to that. What we're, our plan is essentially to take, I mean, the DRC is in the sense, I wouldn't call it a flip side of, of DRA. It kind of is, but it's, it's simpler. Um, what we want to do is sort of take DRC and think about what we've learned from it and then kind of move some of that over to DRA so they're as similar as possible, which I think would make a lot of sense. And then when we do that, I expect we would probably take things back to 1921, and hopefully that can all be done before the next season starts. How big of a factor in the calculation are ballpark factors? 
Um, they're a factor. I mean, every single model has us tracking um, the ballpark effect. And uh, so we, we do try to keep track of that. In general, what we have found is that ballparks uh, seem to be a somewhat smaller uh, factor than I think they've traditionally been assumed. And I think that probably follows in part from the fact that there's this, what we would call shrinkage going on in terms of you know, everyone is sort of getting compressed a little bit toward what we think is more likely their contribution. And um, uh, so I think that, you know, when you have less sort of stuff that you consider to be quote unquote real, then I guess there's also going to be less effect of parks on that uh, remaining uh, activity. So we we tend to find them to be uh, less influential, I think, than, than other systems do. Um, the other feature of our approach is that we are doing them on a single year basis, which uh, is traditionally a taboo thing to do because it's considered very, uh, you know, very volatile. And I, I think you can actually do it either way if you want. You can do it one year, you can do it three year, you can do it five year. Uh, you know, Patriot, uh, who is a, a sabermetric writer who used to write a lot, wrote a great, great article on this. And he basically said, you know, there isn't really a right or wrong answer. There's just basically, you know, doing it, doing your math correctly and disclosing what you're doing so that people can appreciate it. And what we have found is that using these single year park factors, we've been getting some feedback of people saying, you know, we you know, be, check this park, check that park. We, we think you might be getting, a, you know, a little aggressive here or there. Uh, which we're happy to look at. Um, but generally speaking, um, we're finding that yeah. using these single year park factors allows us to keep up its accuracy during like the altered ball situation a couple of years ago. The run environment was being really crazy. As you know, we're going back and forth between hardly scoring any runs and all of a sudden scoring a ton. Um, you know, DRC maintains its accuracy throughout that process, um, the same as it did from like 1980 onward. Uh, whereas competing metrics um, like WRC plus and OPS plus really start to, on our benchmark tests, see their accuracy go down, and uh, which suggests to me that the three-year park factors are causing trouble for them. I, I think people sometimes wonder if, if this is sort of a, a criticism or if I think that those stats are bad or, or whatever. And the answer is no, I don't. Um, I just think that it's, it's just one of those things where three-year park factors make a lot of sense most of the time. And the last five to seven years kind of created a bit of a perfect storm situation where if that was your approach, it was going to put you in a tough spot. And, uh, and that's OK. You know, it, it's it's it, everything's about context and about trying to understand more about what's going on. And so for us, going to a single year park factor, but sort of also putting those on the same sort of distribution that shrinks things a little bit and avoids letting it overreact too much, at least in theory, um, helps us both be nimble enough to respond to seasonal differences in parks or even the ball, um, but at the same time also keep keep our eye on the broader picture and still be largely reporting contribution and hopefully minimize some of the, the park effects. The big outlier, at least in terms of ballpark performance, is course field. And there still is a course penalty for, for hitters with DRC, but it's not as big as we see on the other sites. Why is that? Yeah, and I think I think that has to do with a couple of things. Um, number one is that again, it, it, to the extent that all park penalties are being reduced, that means that that Coors's penalty will get reduced also. And I think that's probably the major reason. Um, I I have heard from folks who say, you know, we we, we and admittedly, it's very jarring, right? I mean, that that's that's the first reaction I think a lot of people have is like, oh my God, how can this how can this not be um, you know bigger than they say it is. Um, you know, all I can say is that we have we have found that uh, you know the Coors effect 
once you start getting down to contributions, as opposed to just the variance that happens on every play going back and forth, there's just a there's just less back and forth to sort of account for. And so what we have found, at least tentatively, uh, is that um, the Coors effect seems to be somewhat smaller. And uh, so people from Coors are doing a little bit better uh, than they have been uh, under WRC plus and OPS plus metrics. And I think that, uh, you know, like I said, if we're, if we're going to do anything with these things, we're always erring on the side of, uh, of underestimating uh, because we would much rather underestimate than overestimate. We'd rather be conservative. So it's possible, I suppose, that now we're sort of swinging a little bit in the other direction from what people are used to. Although I'm confident we're still a lot closer uh, than than the existing approach um, because, uh, number one, because our metrics are so much better, especially with park switching teams. Um, there's simply no way that people switching teams, at least for me, could be so much better if we were not getting the parks at least substantially right. And that would largely be the, the sort of big thing that I'm, that I'm noticing. I think it's just there's less variance overall. And uh, I, I think that, um, you know, when you put that all together, that um, what we're used to seeing from some of the other metrics of everyone at Coors just getting sort of an automatic 15% penalty. Um, I, I think that's that's pretty harsh, <laughs> especially when you get the 15% penalty for that. And and I guess it's probably, this is taken into account already, but then you go on the road and have the Coors Field hangover problem, um, which is tough. And so, uh, you know, Coors Field is probably going to drive people nuts for the foreseeable future and continue to do so. Um, our approach at the moment is to say that the effects are a little less dramatic than I think people have um, have been assuming to date. Let's talk about a few individual players. We'll start with one of the players who played his entire career at Coors, or at least all of his home games, in Todd Helton. Helton's one of the players that saw his wins above replacement and his DRC+. Plus. He really improved on the career leaderboard once you made this switch in overall warp. Um, what is it about Helton? You have him as uh, his DRC plus is 146 for his career, 46% above average. Baseball reference mm-hmm. has him at 136, I believe. So that's a big difference. They see him as a 60-win player. You see him as a 70-win player. Tell me about Todd Helton a little bit and why he's doing so well with this metric. So Todd Helton was an example of somebody who really did everything well. I know sometimes we have players with this metric who are, for example, very singles heavy. And uh, there's been some discussion back and forth as to whether those folks uh, can be penalized so much because they may actually have a bit of a BABIP skill, uh, BABIP skill, whereas most people don't. And so the models may not be giving them enough credit. Uh, Todd Helton definitely does not have that problem. Uh, He can hit for average. He can get on base. He's got the good old, you know, 100 point gap between OBP and and batting average, which is a, a sign that you're dealing with someone who's just a great, great hitter. And of course, he doesn't have any problem um, hitting bombs either. Uh, I think the difference between um, uh, between us and the other folks largely comes down to um, just the parks and the fact that we are penalizing his parks less than um, uh, than some of the other metrics are. I, I think he's obviously an outstanding player either way, but the main difference that I would see is that he just, um, from, you know, from our metric, if we if we just apply less of a penalty, which is what we're, our approach has been, then by doing that, um, uh, he just ends up being viewed as a slightly more positive player. And uh, so uh, that's pretty much how I would sum up Todd Helton at the moment. Another player I want to ask you about is Daryl Evans. And Daryl Evans is habitually underrated. And in the past few years, I've done a ranking of the top 250 players ever. And I've had Evans on the list both times. He's been towards the bottom. Currently, right now, 
with uh, where DRC Plus stands and what it's done to Warp. He ranks as the 21st best player on Baseball Prospectus. 21st best player since 1921. That seems very aggressive. Tell me why. It does seem very aggressive. And he is one of those folks who is sort of on the opposite end of the high BABIP uh, situation. He's sort of a a lower-end BABIP guy. So um, it is possible that, at least this is what we're mulling over, is that the same way that you are giving um, the really good singles hitters might not be getting enough credit, you might be giving a little bit too much credit to people who, you know, just fundamentally were not that great hitters for average. So I, I would say that, I mean, right now, the way that the system works is it's, it's just extremely skeptical of people whose um, you know, ability to, to hit singles, for example, is dramatically better than anyone else. And um, so that you know, sort of arguably hurts some of the people on the high end, and it also uh, helps some people on the low end, sort of your Craig Nettles types uh, or your Daryl Evans types. And so uh, that is definitely a major reevaluation, and it's a, it's a very clear example of when you look at the, um, you know, when you, when you start comparing raw outcomes to you know, sort of what the most likely or most expected contribution is. Um, you know, if you're uh, on the high or the low end of the hitting for average spectrum, uh, you're probably going to have a rather drastic correction, or at least you have the potential for one. Um, so I think, uh, you know, Dovins is one of those people that we're going to be watching with interest because it's entirely possible that, you know, just as when we, we think through the process, it's possible that he might get adjusted a little bit more downward um, toward, uh, you know, where he is with other folks. Um, in terms of him being sort of generally underrated and underappreciated, you're not going to get any argument here. Um, but I, I think he is he is someone who sort of presents the, the BABIP uh, issue from another, from another direction, for sure. So when you have a player that has a low BABIP, what does the system do with that now? Does it adjust it up and give credit for hits that weren't actually there? To some extent, you could say that, right. So it is almost always with all of these metrics, it is going to take especially if you're an outlier, you are going to, if you're an outlier and you played a lot, so we have a pretty good sample for you, you are probably, if you're at the very bottom, going to get pulled up a little bit. And if you're at the very top, you're probably going to get pulled down a little bit. Um, just because that, um, the more extreme you are, the more likely you are to have a few flukes in there that really should not um, most likely be part of your your expected contribution. So the people who are at the extremes of the bad spectrum are both somewhat at risk of being pulled back a little bit. And we know that on average, that's the right thing to do because again, that goes back to the benchmarks. I mean, we aren't just, you know, creating this thing and throwing it out there and saying, we like it. Everyone has to use this now. I mean, we, we benchmarked it and we said, this is, you know, for the vast, at least for the vast majority of players getting it right. Um, you know, more often. And uh, so the question is always with the outliers, right? It's the people on the edges. And so, you know, if we want to also deal with these people on the edges, do we need to make a further sort of adjustment just to sort of let them be them and not uh, not always rescue the people who can't hit for average or always, um, you know, discount the people who really can, for some reason, uh, always, you know, hit the the five and a half hole. Um, and so that's that's one of those subtleties that I think I'd like to to think about and we're, we're, we're mulling over at the moment. I think we might be able to accommodate that without really otherwise messing up the, uh, the accuracy. Um, so that would be one of those, one of those uh, areas for us to look into. But I mean, on average, that is by far the correct approach that gives you the most accuracy in terms of estimating a real contribution for a player. 
while it makes sense to pull a lot of people's Babbitts up, maybe it doesn't for Evans. And I think that we saw this somewhat this year with uh, Aaron Nola, the pitcher for the Phillies, who had a very high wins above replacement, in part because he was playing or pitching in front of a very poor defense. But just because the defense was atrocious, that doesn't always mean it was atrocious in his starts. And I think there needs to be a little more customization towards the individual in all cases for it to really come together. Yeah, that's a really good example because Nola was somebody who, according to baseball reference, just had some otherworldly amount of, uh, you know, of, of wins above replacement, which I, you know, I recalled thinking and I talked to Sean, uh, Sean about it a little bit. And he had, you know, he had some fun for me and he had some good thoughts. He just said, you know, defense is really extreme in some cases and they're really bad. And this is just how it works out. Um, it still did strike me as very aggressive. And one benefit of our system is that we just don't have that happen. Um, it, it, the sort of two things may not be good enough, uh, for your satisfaction, but will very rarely be, uh, you know, truly so extreme that it's, it's, you know, it's a little amazing like that. So, so I, I, I think our goal is to sort of use the power of all of these different plate appearances to get a real sense of how it is that you know, the ability to produce is distributed among pitchers, how it's distributed among ballparks, how it's distributed among batters, and really try to, you know, using other players as your reference point, try to figure out how each player relates to the other. And I, um, you know, Aaron Nola was really good. I think we also thought he was really good. I don't, I don't think he was as good as, um, as his BUR said he was. Um, but, um, you know, the flip side of that, I will say, is that a system like Baseball Reference, which is more based on raw stats than ours and sort of its raw stats and then make some adjustments. I think over a career, you could argue that that's actually a pretty favorable way to do things because, um, you know, in a sense, people sort of shrink and become their own sufficient sample over the course of a career. So things like ERA and batting average um, and OPS start to be a little more, you know, people say, you know what, I can actually just take that. The guy's played for four different teams. He played for 20 years. Um, so again, this may also lead toward the idea of maybe not all stats are perfect for all things. On the career all-time leaderboard, or at least since 1921, the leaders in DRC Plus are Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Luke Gehrig. Names we're very accustomed to seeing at the top. At number five is Mark McGuire. And I think we all know McGuire was a great hitter, but that is a very high ranking for him. Why is McGuire so high? Yeah, it is a very high ranking for him. And this kind of goes back to the, you know, how deserved do you want a bat up to be? And I think there is an argument to be made that, you know, McGuire, well, there are two things going on. I mean, one is that McGuire arguably might be getting rescued a little bit much on the uh, batting average side. That's entirely possible. But what's also happening is that he was an on-base machine. And one thing that um, this system really likes and really rewards is getting on base and taking walks. Um, getting walks is a skill that is very trusted. Um, it is something that you pretty much are what you are. And, uh, so aside from just sort of shrinking you into the distribution, if you walk a lot, you are going to get an awful lot of credit for those walks. Those are highly unlikely to be taken away from you on Moss. Uh, same thing with strikeouts. So, um, when you have hitters who are getting on base in other ways, and this is certainly a theme that's popped up in baseball's past, um, but OBP is considered to be, at least from a walk standpoint, an exceptionally 
you know, use a word you used earlier, stable skill. And so it, it really gets a lot of weight and it does not get shrunk as much. Uh, on the other hand, things like singles and hitting triples do get shrunk more. And people can argue about whether there are certain players who should not be shrunk as much because of their career showing. But, you know, season in and season out, walks and, and strikeouts are really incredibly effective. So and so I think that what McGuire is benefiting from in part is his walk rate, is just being viewed as, you know, sign of just an extraordinary, extraordinary on-base uh, skill. Um, and he, he may be getting rescued a little bit uh, from, uh, uh, from his low batting average, perhaps a little bit more than he should. Um, but, uh, you know, he certainly is somebody that from a hitting standpoint, DRC sees as a, as a hall of fame level of hitter and, um, you know, it, and that may or may not be true. People may say, I, you know, I, I trust the raw stats more than yours, uh, for, for career, or I think that's too generous, or I think you're being too forgiving of other things, you know, that's fine. Um, but, uh, he is certainly somebody who the current system likes a lot. Yeah. And I, I think McGuire, I think he has the steroid association, which is an entirely different story. But I think that people view him as a Hall of Fame hitter in general. How much of that was enhanced by steroids, we have no idea. But I, I think in general, regardless of what numbers you're at, I think people would identify him as a Hall of Famer. When he was going crazy in the 90s, people were calling him a future Hall of Famer. I think that what McGuire and Evans seem to have in common, and you mentioned this a little bit, is that the the metric does seem to be fooled a little bit by guys who have power, who get on base a lot, but do not have a high batting average. And I think they do get a little bit of an additional boost there that I'm not sure that those guys in particular deserve. I think that's fair, particularly for Evans. I mean, I will say that uh, McGuire was actually a pretty good, you know, his batting averages are not bad. Um, he, you know, he was not good early on, um, but then he, he really started putting up some halfway decent ones toward the end of his career. So I think he's a less extreme case. Uh, than Evans, but um, but yeah, I would say he might be getting a little bit of a boost. And uh, to be honest, I can't say that I really put a whole lot of weight in terms of how people rank relative to each other. Um, in terms of that, at some point, you know, we're really getting within the realm of of uncertainty. And I think that's one thing that about this metric that we haven't talked about that I think is really important is that for all of these DRC plus numbers, we are providing an uncertainty estimate. Basically, the SD says standard deviation, so plus or minus five or plus or minus 10 or plus or minus 12. And, you know, that's another thing that I think is really important for people to be a little more honest about people having huge arguments about whether you're two points ahead in that or four points behind in something else. Uh, Most of the time, that difference is not meaningful. And uh, I I think quantifying that is another way to kind of help, you know, people become a little less worried about where someone ranks and a little bit more about sort of the general area where they're residing and sort of what type of general player they seem to resemble. I love looking at career leaderboards, by the way, whenever there's a change on any of the sites, I'm the guy that notices it. I love it. I I love it so much. But uh, the last player I want to ask you about, because he He's really interesting. His number and his overall value was not only affected by the change in hitting metrics, but by the framing metrics that were recently introduced to the site as well. And that's Brian McCann. Brian McCann, we're going to do an overall ranking here, does sit at number 51 overall. That's since 1921, but he ranks number 51 ahead of people like Barry Larkin, Robin Yount, Scott Rowland, Duke Snyder, Vlad Guerrero, Roberto Clemente. That's Brian McCann. Tell me why Brian McCann is so high. Because there was a time period in baseball from about 2000, well, that we know of, I don't know when it started, but from about 2007, 2008, through 2012 to 2013, where framing was so ridiculously valuable because so few teams were paying attention to it, 
that we had catchers who were good at it generating positive, oh boy, I'd have to go look at the numbers, but 30 runs is not out of the question, 40 runs. Um, whereas the people who were really bad at it, like the uh, Evan Dalmets and stuff, would be generating negative 40 runs uh, or so. And so the gap, as you can imagine, between those two numbers is just astonishing. I mean, there's like an MVP uh, in between those two numbers and alone before we get to the bat. So if you were one of these catchers who specialized in something that was insanely valuable, and I suspect that they knew it was valuable. I think catchers have always known that there's a value to a quiet glove. It's just no one ever bothered to quantify it, at least not publicly. So, you know, for a time there, Brian McCann, along with certain others, um, this is also Buster Posey's benefit. Um, he is a fabulous hitter who also was a framing monster. And these folks just got the chance to add easily 20 to 30 plus runs per year solely with their glove before they started hitting the ball. And that is just, and, you know, it's just a tremendous uh, additional area to tap into that recognizes how incredibly valuable catchers are. Now, if you may have noticed, the, the gap in framing among teams has, has narrowed considerably. And I think we know why that is. It's a copycat league. People look at what works for other people, and people are now training their catchers not to lose strikes for their pitchers. Um, but uh, Brian McCannon is all about framing. Um, he, he was really good at an important skill at an important time when people decided to start tracking it. And that was just an enormous factor in the value that he brought to his teams. And so we're pretty happy to be able to, uh, to reward that. I'm curious, you mentioned that you mentioned yourself, it's something that you're looking at internally, but other people had had talked about the, the Babbitt adjustment as well as a potential problem with the metric. I'm curious about some of the other feedback that you've gotten just in terms of other ways to improve or things that may not seem right to people. Sure. So the, the Babbitt uh, focus has really been the primary one because the problem is that since it used to be a very singles-based hitting league and that's what you were rewarded for, getting 3,000 hits, pretty much everyone has an has a, a favorite hitter from their youth <laughs> who is who they feel is being maligned uh, by this so that is probably the vast majority of the feedback um so also that would affect something like tony Gwynn or like ichiro although i recently looked at ichiro over the weekend and decided that i thought he was just being overvalued a lot uh, for reasons i can probably talk about when i write about it in a week or two um but that's the by far the biggest comment um i think people have also just asked about you know, the parks, double check the parks, um, you know, which are, you know, the numbers check out from a performance standpoint, but, you know, it's possible that, um, you know, in other words, people are just understandably nervous about the one-year park factor, and I think that's entirely reasonable, and the odds that there isn't a better way to do it if we went back and thought about it some more um, is entirely possible. So uh, that's probably the other thing, is sort of unease and people just wanting to really make sure that uh, you're double-checking it. <laughs> um, but those would be the two sort of major things. Other than that, it's been mostly questions, people asking if we could incorporate speed a little bit more, people asking if we could incorporate static cast metrics into it, um, things of that nature. And it, it, like I said, it's really been on balance, extremely positive. And, um, and the people who have raised issues, I mean, our, our goal, of course, is to, is to address those and make them better. And it's a couple months yet until the season starts. So that's one reason why you release these things in the off season, and then you see what people say. So if, uh, if we can find a way to sort of um, accommodate some of these uh, concerns or any other concerns that people come up, go ahead and just send them to us. We, we love to hear from people. Um, we're, we'll try to do that. And, um, and then, we, you know, it'll be even better by the time that, uh, um, you know, it's time to play ball in the spring. What surprised you when you were 
putting the number together and then you're starting to test the number. Was there anything that surprised you, whether it be in a leaderboard form or an individual or a, uh, looking back at anything or looking ahead? Is there anything that surprised you about the number? I would say that it was generally just the strength of the performance. Um, I, especially with the team switchers, I mean, some of the things that we were using are some of the hardest possible things to, to test. Um, you know, a park adjusted metric, asking it to evaluate raw runs scored is, is terribly unfair because 20% of those runs are already being written off because of, you know, a park or opponent or something else. So the fact that we could then take from that only players that switch teams and then see how well they performed compared to their original rating and just have it be so much more effective um, was astonishing. I mean, the, the first reaction, I hope he doesn't mind me, you know, saying this, but I mean, you know, Dan Brooks said, oh, that's got to be a mistake. And I said, I really don't think it is, but I'll check it again. Um, and we checked and we checked and then finally just said, no, this is this is correct. This is, you know, this is kind of amazing. So I, I would say from our perspective, um, the fact that we were able to target this, the fact that the performance seems to be really good and that it, it really answers the question that we care about, which is what is the contribution? Not what happened on the plays that you were there, um, but what is your probable expected contribution? And that the numbers would test so well um, is what was really exciting for us. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to like it or that everyone's going to use it. There are plenty of people who are really happy with their triple slash or their OPS plus or whatever, and they should use whatever they want. Um, but we have a feeling that this is going to be a, a much more balanced way to look at uh, people overall and uh, that a lot of people will find it useful. Lastly, before I let you go, Baseball Prospectus was recently sold to a group of its own writers. You're one of the people that is now an owner of Baseball Prospectus. Tell me what changes are in store for the website. So the uh, yeah changes in store for the website definitely would be the number one priority for everyone. Um, our sortable stats, uh, people have told us, you know, the number one problem we have with using our stats isn't your stats. We like them. We just wish they were easier to find. Um, so with the website um, interface, that is actually being worked on right now. And I suspect we will have an open beta going by the end, by the time the season rolls around of a brand new interface that people will find far more intuitive and interesting. Um, so that's the first, the first big thing. Uh, other than that, it's bringing back some of our favorite authors that uh, you mentioned before, and we're going to continue sort of developing new statistics and having an active intern program that compensates people to come in and do work and learn how to do baseball analysis and uh, develop projects and, and keep the, try to keep the diversity pipeline strong and just, uh, generally just be a place where people can go to read about and study and, and love, uh, the sport. You've been listening to Jonathan Judge. Jonathan is a writer at Baseball Prospectus and a senior member of their stats team. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Bach Law. That's B-A-C-H-L-A-W. Jonathan, thanks again for taking the time to join the podcast today. You bet. Thanks, Russ.